This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for coming back to Seeker Plus. I'm Trace. We really appreciate it when you listen to our show. I cannot say how excited I am to re-air this super strange episode that we did back in August of 2016. It's all about cockroaches. Yeah, everybody's favorite insect. We talked about what the heck they are, what good they are out in the world, what our relationship is with them. But we're also gonna look at what would happen if there were no cockroaches out there. What if we just got rid of them all? And then on that note, what would a cockroach apocalypse look like? A cockrocalypse. It's a good band name. Over the next 30 minutes, you're gonna learn too much about these weird insects We're gonna look at anatomy, physiology, history, our relationship with them. Trust me, it's gonna be weird, but it's gonna be really great too. So let's kick into it. So, according to a cockroach expert at the Natural History Museum, George Beccoloni, there are about 4,500 species of cockroach. Isn't that crazy? There are as many as two to three times that number that we haven't even discovered yet. And according to many experts, only around 1% of cockroaches interact with us. So when you think cockroaches, you're really just thinking of a few species. Only one of those species do we consider the pest version of cockroaches. It lives exclusively with human populations and it is a German cockroach called Blattella germanica. That's a sad, a sad little name. But they are insects after all, and we don't really love a lot of insects. You know, people, they don't call them bugs for nothing. And uh, just like insects, cockroaches have a head, a thorax, and an abdomen. They have three pairs of jointed legs. And a fun fact is cockroaches can actually regrow a lost limb. They just have to molt. And they can postpone molting so the new limb can grow as well. It's pretty crazy. They have a pair of antennae on the front. If you've ever seen a cockroach, you probably can picture that. They're known as antennal flagella, and they're able to move those antennae around, and they use them to smell and kind of feel the world around them. You know, kind of of fun. Uh, Their antennae can still react to stimuli even if they've been detached from the cockroach itself. Scientists created something called the electroantennagram. It's an antennae attached to an oscilloscope, then they use that to study cockroach pheromones. Pheromones are chemicals that the cockroach is releasing to tell other cockroaches what's up. So for example, one way that female cockroaches tell male cockroaches that she's ready to mate is she'll go stand on a high surface, usually at night, and emit a sex pheromone from glands underneath her wings. Then, you know, minutes later, thirsty males show up and they're like, what up, girl? It's pretty awesome. Then they have this exoskeleton, cockroaches. They shed multiple times as they grow throughout their lives. That's part of the molting process. So as they get larger, they need a bigger exoskeleton to live in, so they'll shed it off. And let's get something straight right up front here. Cockroaches have a head, a thorax, an abdomen. Their brains are in their head. No matter what you hear, their brains are in their brains, in their heads, in the brain boxes. But they can survive for weeks after getting decapitated. We're gonna come back to that, so stick around. More on that later. Cockroaches have been around for a long, long time, like way, way longer than you think. Since before the dinosaurs, there were cockroaches. 
around 300 to 350 million years ago, in a time called the Carboniferous, cockroaches were thriving. And this was actually known as the age of cockroaches. I would not, if I had a time machine, go back to visit that. No thank you. I'm not really into that. In fact, most of Earth's history, I really wouldn't want to go back and visit. Most, I would say. But modern cockroaches, they haven't actually changed all that much. Except one branch of the cockroach family tree, no pun intended, became termites. And that's right, termites actually evolved directly from cockroaches. So the whole jerk part of the family tree over there. They've been known to evolve at crazy fast rates, in fact, cockroaches have. In the 80s, there was this cockroach bait that was being sold, and the idea was they would have this sweet glucose stuff, and it would attract the cockroaches and then kill them with deadly insecticides, you know, like a roach motel. Glucose, it's just a simple sugar. It's basically the thing that cockroaches want when they're hanging around with us, because a lot of our food has glucose in it. By 1993, cockroaches had somehow developed an evolutionary aversion to these roach motels. It took 20 years for humans to figure out how this happened and how they evolved so quickly is still a mystery. But in 2013, a study was published in the journal Science where researchers at North Carolina University found that like humans, cockroaches like sweet and dislike bitter. So we have taste buds on our tongues but cockroaches have little taste hairs called syncilla, and inside of the syncilla are these things called GRNs, gustatory receptor neurons. So researchers took two groups of cockroaches, the normal glucose-eating group of cockroaches, and then a group they called glucose-averse cockroaches. They gave them six different taste tests. What a day to be a cockroach, you know? Things like uh, glucose were included, and coffee, and fructose, which is the sugar in fruits and honey, it's a little different than the simple glucose sugar. And they found that a normal cockroach, not the averse ones, acted normal. They went for the glucose, they were down, and it stimulated their receptor neurons. But the glucose averse cockroaches, they were not attracted to the glucose. And the research suggests that these averse cockroaches, when they sensed glucose, their sensors were all like, danger, danger, and they stopped eating. Bitter GRNs, the remember the receptors inside of their version of taste, would suppress the sweet. And then, you know, that would make them not want to eat this glucose. And the reason they evolved that, remember, roach motels. They evolved it really, really fast. And if that weren't enough for you, there is another way that cockroaches have evolved that is kind of surprising in a lot of different layers, and it's kind of gross. Cockroach milk. It's amazing and awful to think about right? Cockroaches having milk? Cockroach milk is actually one of the best milks around. An international team of researchers at the Institute for Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine in Bangalore, India, were researching this protein crystal that exists in the midgut of cockroaches. Now, this protein crystal had nutritional value, but they didn't know how much nutritional value it had. They call this crystal cockroach milk. And it turns out once they dug into this little crystal thing, they were shocked because cockroach milk is really frickin' nutritious. It's one of the most nutritious milks on Earth. It's a super rich protein, three times more nutritious than buffalo milk. And that was the, the best before this study, by the way. And it's four times more than cow milk. Sanchari Banerjee, a research team member, said, quote, the crystals are like a complete food. They have proteins, fats, and sugars. If you look into the protein sequences, they have all the essential amino acids. It's like the matrix up in there. So cockroach milk 
Maybe it's a new superfood. Would you try it, you think? God, what a time to be alive. We live in the future. I don't want to eat it. But the thing is, not all cockroaches produce milk. This milk comes from a very specific species that is known to birth live young. A female Pacific beetle cockroach is actually in the form of, again, those protein crystals. But we're not going to like see it on the shelves of the grocery store anytime soon because we're going to need to conduct a lot of research to make sure that humans could actually eat it. But if we could, it might be kind of amazing. I mean, maybe not amazing tasting, but amazing for nutrition. Either way, more research is needed. Cockroaches are actually a pretty common household pest. We mentioned this very briefly earlier. 4,500 different species, we interact with less than 1% of them. It's Blatella, Germanica, and regardless of species though, we still don't like them that much. It's not like we hate this species and we like this species. We kind of just don't like cockroaches in general. They're a nuisance, they're gross, and they have all these traits that I think just humans don't like. I mean, they're pretty gross. They throw up partially eaten food. They drop feces around. They discharge a nauseous secretion from their mouths and glandular openings, and it smells really bad. They're just nasty. They can also spread diseases. But that has to do with how cockroaches eat. They feed off of human feces and human food and bacteria that lives in either of those can then survive in their digestive system for months or years. At that point, they can defecate, they can regurgitate, and they can spread that bacteria around, especially the more dangerous ones. Cockroaches are suspected of carrying some of these microorganisms that can cause diarrhea and dysentery and cholera and leprosy and plague and typhoid fever and viral diseases like polio. It's bad, it's really bad. And if all that doesn't freak you out and make you not like cockroaches already, or make you think they're super cool because they can carry all of those things and not die, their eggs also carry parasitic worms, which is great. Those can cause allergic reactions like itching and swelling of the eyelids and respiratory conditions and dermatitis. Cockroaches, they're, they're like little superheroes. Plus, cockroaches, interestingly, are omnivores. They have been known to eat human flesh. They can eat living and dead human flesh, which is really interesting, living human flesh. It's more likely in a really infested area, like on a ship or something, uh, where people have reported having to wear gloves so the cockroaches wouldn't gnaw on their fingernails and their skin. Weird. And a nightmare. But all of that is either enough to make you love or hate cockroaches, depending on your personality. But sometimes the sight of them will make you cringe even without thinking, right? You'll get this, like, just feeling and ugh, you know, but that's not because you're thinking, gosh, I might get dermatitis from those parasitic worms and my eyelids will swell shut. And I also might get diphtheria. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't, you're not thinking of all of the diseases. What you're thinking of is none of those things. You're just reacting evolutionarily. And our hatred actually goes way, way back. It's something that is kind of built into humanity. Thousands of years ago, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs included a prayer to the ram-headed god Knum for protection from cockroaches. The Greek scholar Diophanes suggested that if you took the guts of a freshly killed ram, buried it underground, that would help trap the cockroaches so you can later suffocate them or dump them elsewhere. In the 19th century, before we had chemical roach killers and things that could keep our homes free of these pests, you would stick a few cockroaches in an envelope with some coins, then you would leave those coins in that envelope and on the sidewalk. And whoever would pick that envelope up, you know, the roaches would follow them and go to their house. You know, people are mean. 
Basically, we've hated cockroaches for as long as human history seems to indicate. I mean, it's a little difficult to answer exactly when we started hating them because there are so many reasons to dislike this particular type of organism. They're erratic, they look gross, they move really fast and in a very weird way, and they appear to not be afraid of us. They're pretty ballsy. So they tap into this sort of evolutionary aversion we have to these smelly, slimy, greasy things. Disgust is a huge emotional response. It's one of the biggest drivers of behavior when it comes to emotion. Like what feels stronger to you, being in love with somebody or an instantaneous disgust reaction, like somebody vomits on the bus or something, right? You react pretty much immediately. But cockroaches can't help this. You know, they, they don't wanna be hated. They're fast so they can escape their predators. They smell because the uric acid or like the nitrogenous waste in their body, that's their fat. It's for recycling. It's, it's, their texture is gross because of a lipid-based wax that is secreted by their cuticles so they can hold in their water. Cockroaches, it's not their fault, they're nasty. They're just born that way. Perhaps the root of the fear though uh, is something called catseritophobia and it can be traced back to a traumatic experience in life. So say you're four or five years old, you're at home, uh, your mom sees a cockroach and freaks out. Or a scary movie comes on TV featuring cockroaches and they're supposed to be scary. And that fear is planted and it stays with you and you have it for the rest of your life potentially. You can get over it, I mean that can happen. In psychology, we would call that exposure therapy. Essentially, you would slowly expose yourself to the thing that you fear until you no longer fear it. It doesn't mean you're ever going to really love it, but you're not going to have that kind of instinctual fear response. So things like you would listen to this show <laughs> and listen to me talk about cockroaches and then maybe talk about them yourself and then maybe look up photos of them and then maybe go to the Natural History Museum and look at the cockroach exhibits, you know, things like that. Then eventually maybe you'll see an actual cockroach and you won't freak out. You can also go with technology, the augmented reality route where you can get virtual cockroaches and hang out with them like if you really want. We did a whole series on fears and exposure therapy is a big part of that. So make sure you check that out as well. But cockroaches, it's funny, if you think about them more broadly, they may be more human-like than you think. One study found that cockroaches may have personalities and character traits, similar to you and me. They looked at the American cockroach and they studied its behavior. They did this by putting little chips on the cockroaches, putting them in a container with a couple of shelters, and they turned a light on at the top. We all pretty much know because of television that cockroaches don't like the light. They're gonna scatter and get out of it, right? And the camera recorded their actions for three hours. The chip recorded their location information to see whether they were in the shelter or not. You'd think because they don't like light that they would mostly just stay in the shelter the whole time, right? Three hours, it's not that long. But it turns out the amount of time that it took for the whole group to go into the shelter, that varied. Not all of them would scurry right in there at the same time. Researchers attributed this to differences in personality and behavior. There are braver cockroaches and they're cool with testing out this new really bright environment. Then there are more cautious cockroaches that run right into the shelter and they hang out and they wanna see if things are safe. Basically, cockroaches sometimes make their own decisions. When you think of insects like ants or even the cockroach relative, the termite, they're very hierarchical, right? They have a structured society, bees, very structured, society. Cockroaches don't follow a social hierarchy. They don't work that way. And that's kind of cool. 
right? We've had a long history throughout humanity with these insects. They've been around way longer than we have. We hate them. We sort of don't hate them. There's a lot of cool things to like about these strange insects, but they do share some interesting personality traits with us, right? But what happens if cockroaches never existed? They never existed at all. What would our world look like? I know that's a weird question, but we've all heard about how cockroaches would you know, survive long after humans are gone in the case of nuclear war and whatever else. But we wanted to know if any of that was true. And what would happen if we did manage to get rid of all the cockroaches? So first off, the surviving a nuclear war thing. The idea spread after Little Boy and Fat Man were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. And reports came back that cockroaches were scurrying around. Uh, you know, they were the only survivors of the blast. And they were in the ruins of cities and, and so on and so forth. The anti-nuclear sentiment during the Cold War perpetuated this idea. To show people how dangerous nuclear weapons really were, they would say, the only survivors were cockroaches. Although I feel like nothing surviving a nuclear blast is actually scarier than cockroaches, but whatever. As you would expect, the Mythbusters jumped in to find the truth of this. They irradiated a bunch of cockroaches. Kind of feel bad. The team took the most common cockroach that humans interact with, maybe you remember that from earlier, the Blatella germanica, it's a German cockroach, and they subjected them to three varying levels of radioactive metals, cobalt-60 specifically. They started by exposing them to 1,000 rads, or 1,000 radon units of cobalt-60. To put it in perspective, that amount of radiation would kill a human in about 10 minutes. Then they amped up their exposure to another group, and they said, okay, this group of cockroaches, 10,000 rads. That's really bad. Then eventually they had another group, and they got 100,000 rads. The gamma rays of the atomic bomb, again, to put it in perspective, that was dropped on Hiroshima, only emitted about 10,000 rads. So this is a lot of radiation. The results confirmed, again, by the Mythbusters, that cockroaches could survive a nuclear explosion, 30 days after being irradiated, half of the 1,000 rad group were still alive. That's something that would kill humans in 10 minutes. And when they exposed it to roaches, months later, they were still fine. 10% of the 10,000 rad group, they were also still alive, which is pretty insane. But none of the 100,000 group survived, which is not surprising. That's a lot of radiation. So there is an amount of radiation that will kill cockroaches, and it's surprisingly low, only 1,000 rads, because only half of the cockroaches survived. But there's also a upper amount that will kill pretty much all of the cockroaches. So the point is, why do they survive when humans would die, right? The reason is their bodies have slower cell reproduction cycles. You know, we are constantly replacing cells in our body all the time. Some cells only live a few days. Some cells live months or weeks. Their bodies, cockroaches, have slower division cycles. According to the University of California, Santa Barbara, their cells only really divide when they're going through their molting process, when they're growing a new exoskeleton. The dividing cells are believed to be way more sensitive to radiation, likely because DNA is being replicated, and if it's damaged, that damaged DNA will be passed on to any future cells, and it would be bad. So that's why humans are so susceptible to radiation, because we are constantly making cells. We're dividing all the time. Half of the roaches that died they, in that first group, they were probably just somewhere close to molting during the time that they were being irradiated. But that wasn't the only cockroach survival myth out there. We mentioned it earlier. Cockroaches can survive decapitation for weeks. And they aren't the only insect that can, actually. But as you might know, humans, 
we would have trouble if we were decapitated, you know? I mean, wouldn't be great. There's actually a Planet Money story, it's really great, that when they polled Americans and they found out that 4% of Americans answered that they had been decapitated when asked. It's really great. Planet Money is awesome. But anyway, why is it that cockroaches can survive? First off, for us, if we're decapitated, we would have a problem with blood loss and blood pressure dropping, and you know we wouldn't be able to breathe very well because you know our nose is on our face. So if we had a hole and it was just our neck, it would be real gurgly. Couldn't eat. You know, a bunch of different things. Basically, our heads are very important. But cockroaches, they don't work in the same way that we do. They don't have blood pressure like we do. According to physiologist and biochemist Joseph Kunkel at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, cockroaches don't have a network of blood vessels like humans or tiny capillaries that you need a lot of blood pressure to push the blood through. They have an open circulatory system. There's much less pressure needed to keep them alive. So after their head is separated from their bodies, the neck just seals off, no uncontrollable bleeding. The cockroach is gonna be fine. Roaches don't breathe through their heads like we do. They breathe through little holes down the sides of their bodies called spiracles, where they draw air in that way. Then little tubes called tracheae send the oxygen to their organs and tissues. Cockroaches also are poikilotherms, or cold-blooded. They essentially need, like, no food in comparison to us. We need to eat constantly to maintain this body temperature. And cockroaches' nervous system activity isn't designed in the same way ours is. They have nerve ganglia located throughout their body, giving instructions. So when you have a decapitated cockroach, the thing that kills it isn't being decapitated necessarily. It will eventually die of thirst, which actually sounds horrifying. Running around with no head, being real thirsty. That sucks. Now, about that cockroach apocalypse, the cockro-apocalypse that I mentioned earlier. Why do we keep these things around? They're creepy and they're gross and they move weird and I don't like them, but they're important. Firstly, they are a huge food source for birds and insectivorous animals. They aren't a sole food source for any specific animal, so no animal would necessarily go extinct, maybe. I mean, there is this parasitic wasp that uses cockroach eggs to birth their young, and that one would most likely go extinct without the cockroaches. But I don't know if I necessarily care about them. What I do maybe care a little bit more about is, according to a professor of entomology at North Carolina State University, the red cockaded woodpecker is super into cockroaches. Like 50% of their diet is just cockroaches. So maybe that woodpecker would go extinct. Because it's not like, oh man, there's no cockroaches around. I guess I'll go to the shop and you know pick up something else. Like if your food source disappears and you're an animal, you're living on instinct. Even a small amount means that now if 5% of your food source disappears, you are 5% hungry for a long time until you evolve a new way to eat <laughs> and find food. So we might lose some animals, but there's no real way to tell. Other than that, we would probably lose some other species because when things break in the food chain, stuff gets real. I would say the other thing, but you know, we're trying to be family friendly. But lastly, I have to say, if we said somehow that all cockroaches were gone, you know, snap your fingers and they're all disappeared, their sudden disappearance would affect humanity. To explain that, I'm gonna go to the professor and chair of the biology department of the University of Texas at Tyler, and a world expert on cockroaches, Srini Kambampati, I hope I got that right. They said, quote, most cockroaches feed on decaying organic matter, which traps a lot of nitrogen. Cockroach feeding has the effect of releasing that nitrogen in their feces, which then gets into the soil and is used by plants. In other words, extinction of cockroaches would have a big impact on forest health, and therefore indirectly on all species that live there. 
And let's be honest, if we somehow had a negative impact on all forests on the planet, that would affect everyone else, every other life form. I mean, through all the extinction events, throughout all of the history of our planet, what the plants do has really been a big influencing factor over the rest of us. So if we somehow cut out this big part of the nitrogen cycle, which is cockroaches, that would affect us all. So we really need them around. And I bet you never thought you'd be like, okay, cockroach, I won't squash you today. Go back to the forest. Do your thing, man. But that's what you should be thinking. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on Seeker Plus. Cockroaches, they're so weird, right? But kind of cool. I know. We hope you loved this episode. If you haven't already, take a second, like the episode, share it, subscribe it, whatever you're feeling. I read the reviews, so thank you so much to all those who have written those reviews for us on iTunes and elsewhere. It really means a lot to me. I'm Trace. You can find more science on our YouTube channel, Seeker, at youtube.com slash seeker. At youtube.com slash seeker. You can find us on Facebook as well. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Trace Dominguez. The original version of this episode was written by Blair Battenberg and Donna Mae Ferranda. It was edited by Braith Miller and Blair Battenberg and recorded by Balthazar Reyes. Our intern was Denisha Calderon. It was produced in 2018 by Trace Dominguez, associate producer and a production assistant of Victoria Barrios and Megan Bates. It was re-recorded by Matt Pignol. For re-listening to every episode, I'm pretty sure she's super sick of my voice now, but our intern is Debbie Hainem. Special thank you to her. Thanks again for listening to Seeker Plus. We'll be back next week with a story about why we as a species sort of suck at getting to space. And yet, there we are, keeping on trying. I'm Trace. Thanks for listening to Seeker Plus. See you next time.